Welcome to What's Korean Cinema 22 on A Tale of Two Sisters. Uh, so, the intro goes as follows. Bringing the unsettling, elegant, focused and dramatic, Kim Ji-Woon's A Tale of Two Sisters is up for discussion. Does it hold a grip on audiences still, or has rampant horror cliche cliches outside of it diminished its power? Find out with me, Kenny B, and Hangul Celluloids Paul Quinn, so say hi. Second week in a row, buddy. Good evening. Not ten minutes later for you and I, but second week in a row. We're, we're that efficient podcast as we record several episodes in uh, on the night and uh, all of that good stuff, but uh, we're, we're capable of doing so, and uh, we're motivated since... We usually pick movies that we don't thoroughly dislike, so it's a pleasure to bring forth uh, uh, sort of a retrospective on a movie that uh, was hot shit for a while, and now it's mentioned every now and again, because uh, when it's hot, then it's mentioned all the time. But uh, now it sort of comes up every now and again when you talk of Kim Ji-Woon. When people say Kim Ji-Woon nowadays, it's more like, yeah, the good, the bad, and the weird. Then it sort of ends there. Maybe I saw the devil. But that's like the recent stuff, and A Tale of Two Sisters is not what comes up and uh, make people go, woo! For my money's worth, they should. They should do that. <laughs> let's uh, let's get into it, uh, do some quick contact information, and then talk of uh, the movie and Kim Ji-won's uh, career up until this point. So this is What's Korean Cinema on the Podcast on Fire Network. Find us on podcastonfire.com, along with other shows on Hong Kong movies and Japanese movies, and uh, we produce bonus episodes every now and again, exclusive for the website. Email us if you have any questions or feedback, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. We have some handy buttons at the top of our page that will lead you to our Facebook page, so leave a like if you like. You also have links to the discussion group uh, when you're there. And uh, the buttons will lead you to our Twitter, our iTunes feed, which you can subscribe to. You can uh, leave a star rating and even a written comment about what's Korean cinema. And you can stream us on Stitcher Radio, either on their website or the, app, or the apps available on the Apple App Store and Google Play. And uh, I write about uh, Hong Kong movies uh, very rarely with a Korean tint, only when they're sort of shot in Korea or their co-productions, which happens every now and again. But uh, nonetheless, my written review- reviews are available on SoGoodReviews.com and some small bite-sized spoken audio, so to say, video reviews are available on SleazyKVideo.com and my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. And on Hangul Celluloid, there is a review of Tale of Two Sisters. Do you remember if you... Uh, did it as it came out, or were you a late uh, watcher uh, of Tale of Two Sisters? Do you remember offhand? Tale of Two Sisters is a huge, huge deal for me in terms of what I do now and what I've done over the years. But I was an early watcher and a late reviewer, if you know what I mean. I first saw it way before I started writing about film. It played 50% of the part of, of me now doing what I do. That and a, a film called A Moment to Remember. If it wasn't for those two films, I would not be sitting here talking to you now. Um, so A Tale of Two Sisters is massive for me. It's always been massive for me. Um, and I think it always will be. Mm-hmm. And uh, therefore, uh, the archived review uh, is available on your site. So throw out the URL for people who do not know where you are. I'm at hangelcelluloid.com. I'm on Facebook at facebook.com slash hangelcelluloid. I'm on Twitter at, at hangelcelluloid. And when you've had a little look at the Taylor Two Sisters review. I've got two interviews with director Kim Ji Woon on the side as well. And the earlier one, we actually talk a bit about a Taylor Two Sisters in between I Saw the Devil and whatever else. So, um, you know, pop over to the side, have a look. And I was asked this, but uh, did you have a chance to do a one on one during uh, one, or one or even both those occasions? 
both were one-on-one. The second one was incredibly short because everybody suddenly wanted to talk to him. But the, the earlier one, we had an, the interview was meant to be about 15 minutes and it lasted over an hour because he wouldn't stop talking. Oh, that's cool. It would be the one. I put both up because you do. But if I was going to say, hey, I've interviewed Kim Ji-Win, I'd point to the earlier one because it's a far better interview. It's just, it's fuller, it's more fun, it's more relaxed. And it was one of the first I did. So it was a huge thing for me. And I can still remember my voice moving like Larry the Lamb as I was asking him the questions, you know. <laughs> oh, hey, oh. Um, so, <laughs> and he was whispering to his interpreter, Larry the Lama. What on earth is this? Let's be nice to this guy because he's going to fall over in a minute, you know. So, you know, check it out. And uh, let's uh, get on with it. Uh, first of all, the rundown. As per usual, we have some sections here. Uh, so we want to give you a heads up uh, about that. And if you want to jump ahead to any of them, running times are in the podcast uh, show post on the website. And at least uh, in the Apple uh, podcast application for your iPhone or iPad, you can also access these running times uh, when you download the show. You just have to tap, tap the artwork. Uh, so what's uh, to come here is, is, first of all, a little production background on the film followed by a bio and discussion about popular director Kim Ji-woo. Now we conclude with the review of the film itself. Just a few sections, but uh, nonetheless, I wanted to give you a heads up. So, let's get on with A Tale of Two Sisters from 2003, and plot again from Paul's review of the film. So here we go. Sisters Soo-mi, played by Im So-young, and Soo-yeon, played by moon Gyon young have always been very close. And since the death of their mother, Sumi has become extremely protective of her sister. Their father, played by Kim Kapso, has recently uh, remarried and his new wife, uh, played by Jung Jung Ah, has become the girl's stepmother, increasingly ruling the household with an iron fist. And though Sumi has always managed to confront and stand up to her stepmother, Soo-yeon, the other sister, being younger and very fragile, has been unable to defend herself against the increasing psychological and physical abuse inflicted on her by the woman. Worried for her safety, Sumi has tried on many occasions to talk about her father, about the, to her father about the situation, but he has been rather distant, seeming almost uncaring and unwilling to listen. On returning from a period, a period of convalescence, Sumi and Soo-yeon almost instantly begin to clash with their stepmother. During the days following their return home, strange incidents also begin to occur and another presence can clearly be felt within the house. But as Sumi tries to ascertain the truth behind what's occurring, while trying to keep her sister safe, the actions of her stepmother become increasingly erratic at the same time. And the question quickly becomes whether her behavior and the odd occurrences and are her attempts to scare the girls or if a spirit is trying to take revenge uh, or something else entirely. Maybe a fox spirit. Maybe. <laughs> so, oh, that's a twist that we didn't even know about. And we've seen the film. <laughs> so there it is. Like the recut. The Kim Ji-won recut. Uh, I always dreamt of having a fox spirit in this movie. That can be the 2017 remake, I think. The, the, the next remake. <laughs> Yet another remake. We already had a remake. We'll get to that. Uh, but the background, loosely based on the Korean fairy tale Jianghua. Hong Ryon John, there's no English title. Kim Ji-won wasn't the first one to bring it to the screen as it has had at least five adaptations before. In 1924, 1936, 56, 62, 72 and finally so far in 2003. That begs the question, looking at that list of adaptations, uh, do you know if any of them are 
you know prior classics um and have you seen any or um and and therefore do some or all exist in some shape or form as far as i'm aware none exist really not even the 70s one not even the 70s one i mean the 70s even aside from 36 56 and 62 the 70s stuff disappeared more than probably any other decade the the chances of you seeing any of these films, the 24 one is older than the oldest surviving Korean film. 36, same year, they're gone. The 62 and 72 have just, they've disappeared. They've been lost. They've That's been burnt. damn shame because uh, you, you, you'd want to kind of compare at least one adaptation to the tale versus Kim Ji-Woon's, but uh, my God. All I've been able to find, you can find images from screen caps of I think the 56, the 62, and the cover of the 72. And they're all very much of a muchness. They're two kids sort of almost looking half demonic, I guess. But that's essentially all we know. And in terms of storyline, I believe they were very faithful to the original story, which A Tale of Two Sisters kind of isn't. That's as far as I can tell you. They're not available. You just can't see them. I mean, what are the odds that five out of prior adaptations of the story gone <laughs> i mean uh, it, it it's kind of sad but uh, it's also the reality of uh, film preservation and uh, other uh, um, other aspects as well and uh, you know from kim ji-woon's point of view he should be quite proud that five adaptations have disappeared and his is the only one left <laughs> like, what, what if he his disappears and the only one is left it's the US remake. <laughs> I've I've got three versions of the DVD. I'll give I'll give them one. It's fine. Lock it in a time capsule for heaven's sake. Yeah, totally, totally. Uh, so as it is based on a folk tale, and this has been frequently made, as we have established, you you know the beat seemingly of the of the folk tale, knowing that this tale of two sisters isn't fully f- fully uh, thorough adaptation. But can you say anything about what is it about in general that appeals to filmmakers? I mean. Well, 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 we'll start with that. Do you have any theory about what it is about this particular folk tale? I think it's just one of those classic tales of standing up against persecution, the whole roping in of a, It's always been a ghost story, so it sort of it begs to be told and retold and retold because people want to tell ghost stories. It's what people do around campfires. It sort of sits as a wicked stepmother ghost tale that just... It's one of those stories you would continually retell your children, their children, their children. So it's not surprising that it's been remade and remade and remade. Kim Ji-un took, a, as I say, a different take on the story in terms of what it turned out to be. Originally, it was just evil stepmother gets a daughter murdered, then ends up murdering the other one because she wants her kids to be more important. Mm-hmm. The kid, the kids come back as ghosts, tell the father. The father gets rid of the wicked stepmother and has children, which he then names the two names, the you know, young wife, young girl, and they're almost reincarnated and everybody lives happily ever after. Right, so there's a little bit more story elements that we see in, um, in his film. Pretty much it is. It's a, a ghost reincarnation story. And, you know, if you stand up against persecution, right, well, out at the end. Filmmakers always like those, you know, everything will be all right in the end sort of deals. So it's kind of part of what it is. I just love the fact that Kim Ji-woon took it completely differently. I think the Korean title is the same as the um, fairy tale. Because um, I remember the credits on the remake had a Korean 
title on it. So, mm. so, so he named it directly after it, seemingly. Yeah, it's just a tale of young man, young run. You know, is there a rich catalogue in terms of the... Well, well, I'm sure there's a rich catalogue of folk tales uh, to tap into, but uh, in general, uh, is has this been popular throughout the decades for producers and filmmakers to, to adapt folk tales, uh, good or bad adaptations, that is? When you think about it in terms of this and Thousand Year Old Fox, you know, when we're doing these podcasts, you think back to what's been done, and instantly I thought, you know, you think, well... There's been Hansel and Gretel, but there hasn't really been much else. And then you realize that all the folk tales were actually those pansoris. That's what Korean folk was, pansori tales told verbally. And when you think of it in those terms, if you consider those as folk tales, they're, they're constantly being retold. The difference is that they're all or nearly all brought up to the present day to where their stories retold as of now, to talk about society now, to talk about, you know, this, that, and the other, rather than being the sort of Hansel and Gretel or whatever that steps back to a time in mythology or whatever. But yeah, it it all comes down to Pansori tales and they're constantly being retold. It's no surprise there are five of these. It's no surprise that there is Pansori after Pansori after Pansori. And we talked about them when we were doing the whole Pansori thing in a previous podcast, but they just, you know, there's another one last year, there'll be one next year, and they're all based on four or five stories that just, they can't leave alone. It certainly doesn't sound like them trying to avoid writing stories themselves. It's it's a rich tapestry of prior stories being retold, as you said, so it's uh, it doesn't scream lazy to me when I listen to you um, talk of it you get the feeling that they constantly look at these things and think that story's worth telling, but I want to do something different with it. That I think is brave rather than lazy. If you look at, I keep talking about it endlessly. If you look at Scarlet Innocence, which was by the guy who did Hansel and Gretel, when you look at his present day reworking of that Pansori Shimchunga, it's unbelievable. It's so original. It's so him compared to Madame Ong from a couple of years ago or other versions of it. So I think it's very brave of them to take these things that have been told and told and told and try and make them something different, try and make them fit with today. And uh, let's uh, move on there before we get into more director specifics. Uh, Taylor Two Sisters did the rounds at festivals, uh, winning Best Picture at the 2003 Screamfest Horror Film Festival. Best Film and Actress for Im So Young and the Director at the Fantasporto Film Festival and on Home Grounds. The Grand Bell Awards nominated it in eight categories. Problem is, <laughs> same year, Old Boy was nominated and you can imagine mm-hmm. which took home some heavy awards, including Best Director. But surprisingly to me, Best Film was neither of them. Best Film was Kim Kidak's Spring, Summer, Fall, Winter and Spring. And I always thought no one liked Kim Kidak in Korea or, or Grand Bell Awards like Kim Kidak. Just on the that point, which is completely off on a tangent, I thought exactly the same thing. And when I was in Korea, I was in Korea a couple of months ago. While I was there, I got talking to one of the interpreters, a Korean girl, who is obsessed with Kim Ki-duk. <laughs> and I was like, but everybody in Korea hates Kim Ki-duk. And she went, yeah, but I love him. He's great. And she went into huge depth about all his films. It's that whole thing where we're internationally, we're drawn to think 
you know, you're told nobody likes Kim Ki Duck in Korea. He's thrown a wobbly. He's gone and expelled himself. Uh, that's the way it is. And it's never, ever that simple. It's a good movie too. I remember liking that movie uh, uh, a lot, actually. So, um, so well, well done. Maybe it wasn't like like an upset that year. Everybody was sitting there. Best picture? Oh no! It's spring, summer, fall, summer, fall, winter, and spring. Fuck you all. <laughs> so there it is. Uh, but uh, good, good on him. That, that was well deserved. Let's talk Kim Ji Woon, and uh, you know he initially directed theater but uh, made his uh, feature film debut with 1998. He's been around for a while. The Quiet Family, which he also wrote. Uh, this is a horror comedy starring big names who would cross paths uh, with Kim again, such as Old Boys, Choi Min-sik, and Song Kang-ho. You know, big names. What an understatement. You know, <laughs> those actors that you might have heard of. <laughs> but, uh, you know, considering those names involved at that time, in 1998, that is, was it a hit with audiences as well? Do you remember that? Pretty much till his two sisters went under the wire. Nobody really paid attention. Nobody knew what it was. Nobody knew who Kim Ji-won was. And as has to be said, nobody really knew who Song Kang-ho was. You know, it was his, it was, I think, his second film. Oh, I always got the impression he worked throughout the 90s, but uh, I might be wrong. No, pretty much, you know, it was his first big starring role. And it was his, you know, he was in The Foul King and whatever, but he was not a big star whatsoever Choi Min-sik again he was bigger but he wasn't the name he is now A Quiet Family was almost an unknown director with people you've kind of maybe heard of it wasn't a case of oh Song Kang-ho oh Choi Min-sik oh Kim Ji-won let's go and see this um, it was different back then so it sort of puffed along and kind of got forgotten until after Taylor Two Sisters, when people realized who Kim Ji Woon was, yeah. and they all then went back and went, "Oh look, Quiet Family has got Chum and Sick in it." Did you ever see the um, Takashi Miike directed Japanese remake, Happiness of the Katakuris? Be- because that was a remake, right? Miike's film came after, right? Yeah, I did enjoy it, and I think it was a decent take on it. You know, I'm very biased, so I'm going to sit and constantly go, "Yeah, but it's not." The Korean version, yeah, it's not the original. Um, I think it was well done, and I think it was worth doing. I still prefer The Quiet Family. I always got the impression the Mika's film was more of a musical. Very much, but that was his, again, that was his take on it, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good, that's good. I like, uh, ch- changed the voice of the movie a little bit. Yeah, very much, and certainly made it maybe even more humorous. Anyway, next up, as you mentioned, uh, The Foul King for Kim Ji-won, starring Song Kang-ho as a bank clerk turned pro wrestler. Two shorts uh, followed, uh, Coming Out and Memories, and the latter I've seen, it was it was the Korean segment in the horror anthology Free, which also features um, a short from Hong Kong directed by Peter Chan. It was an award-winning horror drama, really, a really good one called Going Home. And then in 2003, at least his name came onto my radar, which is a lie, really. It was much later, but that was the first Kim Ji-won movie I saw. Maybe it was 2006 or whatever I saw it. And because I barely scan Korean cinema, as you well know, and the horror movie in question was A Tale of Two Sisters. I say coming onto my radar, is that sort of fair? I mean, did it get buzz, do you think, at that point? Like international buzz and local bus um, in terms of box office and stuff like that? Or what do you remember about A Tale of Two Sisters uh, winding back to 2003? 
I mean, if you look at it in terms of domestic versus internationally, internationally, it came to the fore because of the whole Asia extreme thing that they did, where anything that was Asia horrific, controversial, whatever else got released here. Because this didn't star. Now, now he neglected <laughs> or opted not to involve Choi Min-sik and Song Kang-ho. So for me, it was like, I don't know any of these people. Well, that's the thing, you know. So internationally, it came, it became very well known because of the whole Tartan thing, because of the whole Asia extreme. And that's how I came across it. And from I think for a lot of people, it hit, it would have hit them the way it hit me. At that time, I hated American cinema. I, I was sick of it. I watched a lot of Asian stuff. I bought random DVDs just because I liked the cover and it was Asian. But I didn't really pay that much attention. And when I watched The Tale of Two Sisters, I actually remember hooking out all my DVDs and looking for the ones that hit me most strongly and seeing where they came from, and time after time it went Korea, 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 and that sort of made me think, okay, so we're going to do Korean cinema, and that's sort of, that's why I became what I became, but I think that would have been the case for a lot of people that have watched it and seen something they'd never seen before, and thought, what is this, who is this, what country is this, and immediately you've got, this is Kim Ji-won, this is Korea, and this is Korean horror. That's in terms of internationally, it became known because of the genre it was released under. Domestically, it was really hit and miss. It got awards left, right, and center, but an awful lot of the critics slagged it off. They didn't get it. They didn't They didn't think it was understandable enough. They thought it was too difficult for people to grasp what was going hey, on. Hey, I'm the stupidest viewer in the world, and I got this movie. I totally agree with you, but you know, half of the critics despised it. Half of them quite liked it. Audiences, same again. It was pretty much hit and miss. Some loved it, some hated it. It it certainly wasn't the look at this, which I think it should have been. And moving on to 2005, he worked steadily. Obviously, despite even if uh, hit and miss locally, he still got work. 2005's A Bittersweet Life saw Kim team up with superstar Lee Byung-hun for the first time in a stylish and violent gangster picture in the form of A Bittersweet Life. And uh, my brief research on it all definitely indicated that this had commercial appeal in in Korea. So, uh, I mean, uh, he must have been somewhat even hugely known by that point, Lee Byung-hun. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, from when he stepped out into the limelight, you know, let's face it, he's he's not bad looking. He's all right. (laughs) You know, he's he's all right. So, so as soon as he appears in, that was not bitter at all. Like he's 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 not bad looking. He's all right. He's probably got a wart on his penis or something. So, well, I imagine so. You know, he. So as soon as he appeared, you know, he's got female fans clamoring for him from from the day he stepped onto the screen. Some of his acting was a little bit hit and miss in the early years. But by the time you got to A Bittersweet Life, he'd, he'd pretty much got it down. He's not going to go wrong there. And Kim Ji-un had pretty much got a name for himself over those years through people looking back and seeing The Quiet Family, The File King, loving A Tale of Two Sisters in hindsight. Bittersweet Life, it does work. I think it's it's worth saying, yeah, good film. I don't think it was as good as it should have been. That was sort of how I felt as well, because I knew of its hype. And I came away liking it, but not 
being blown or blown away by this new type of voice. P- people tended to compare it, not in a shitty way, but uh, people tended to compare it a little bit to the style of Hong Kong director Johnny Toe, with mm. sort of sort of understated you no know, dialogue, a lot of violence and stuff like that. May- maybe fair or unfair, I don't know, uh, but um, it's, uh, it's certainly nothing I've rewatched. But I always liked him. Heck, I even liked him in the first G.I. Joe movie. Yes, I said it. I like him in that. I think he did well for himself, despite being a big commercial action movie. So there it is. I totally agree. You know, and all his films, whether they've been good, bad, terrible, or great, he's sort of held his own. You know, I was sitting in front of the TV last night and Red 2 came on, which was his thing with Bruce Willis and Helen Mirren and that he was filming when he actually came over to London a couple of years ago. And it's a throwaway movie, absolutely throwaway, but he's really quite good in it. You know, he's always sort of, he holds the screen. He can do what he does. No Terminator for you, based on his appearance? Him and Arnie were the only things about Terminator Genesis that were worth Gen- watching. Genesis, sir. Genesis, sorry. <laughs> mm. That's what it says. I'd love to swear and call it Jenny something else. I hated the film, but I, I thought he was all right, even though he's only in it for you know a short time. But it leads me to a question about the Kim Ji-Woon. I mean, we, we've sort of hit upon it, but it's apt to ask the question anyway. Does he do very mainstream movies, or are they looking at filmography unique, even challenging visions that manages still to tap into audiences, uh, both the material and the stars that appear in said visions? So he's, a, he's a really weird director. He's... I constantly get the feeling he's looking to hit huge audiences and he'll do whatever he can to do that. If you look at his early career, you look at A Quiet Family and The Foul King and A Tale of Two Sisters, I got the feeling that he was making films that he wanted to make. You you head towards the good, the bad, the weird, you know, even up to the oh, the last stand, oh dear Lord. <laughs> we'll get to it. You almost You almost feel like he's now more making films that he has the opportunity to make rather than going out and making something that he wants to. And the way he switches between vastly different things, you almost think he's looking for something. You know, if you take I Saw the Devil, he'd done a load of commercial stuff and you just get the feeling he's going, right, let's do something controversial to switch away from that. He got so much flack off that he then goes and does something hugely commercial to almost offset it. You know, and in between all that, he's looking at other genres. If you go on YouTube, there's a short film he made called One Perfect Day, which is a romantic comedy with a male character who you just want to punch. He ruins the whole thing. But you just get the feeling he's doing just like he did when he was making those horror shorts, almost preparing for Attila Two Sisters. You get the feeling that he's making that short to prepare for something else. And if he's going towards romantic comedy, he's heading commercial. So I constantly get the feeling he's he's never happening. He's always looking for something and everything he creates is not quite what he was looking for. So he keeps looking. It seems, therefore, at this point uh, where we are um, in terms of like post A Bittersweet Life, that Kim would sort of generate buzz uh, internally in Korea and externally um, internationally. And in the case... Uh, of the good, the bad, and the weird, his tribute to Westerns, that sort of it gets brought up, you know, from the director of the good, the bad, and the weird, Kim Ji-won. Like, that's their sort of gold standard. But in my opinion, that was 
empty commercial spectacle. I I, I didn't get it myself. Uh, I get the audience appeal. I mean, man. I mean, Lee Byung Hun, woof. <laughs> and Song Kang, uh, uh, Song Kang Ho, but I didn't like that at all, that movie, to be honest. Visually, I thought it was stunning. Absolutely stunning. From the from the first minute where the hawk or whatever flies down to the train, it's it's visually deeply impressive. In terms of film-wise, yeah. I, I like a ma- mainstream commercial movie, but it just... I didn't have fun with it personally, but I can't. I, I must admit, I agree with you. I, you know, you just feel it's yeah, it's two hours of kind of fun, and it's a bit throwaway, and I didn't really get that much out of it. Why it's suddenly the director of the Good, the Bad, the Weird? I guess it's just because they assume loads of people saw it, and it was, you know, it was released internationally, etc., etc., etc. I'd much rather it was still. Kim Ji Woon, the director of Tale of Two Sisters. Very much so. Uh, 2010 saw the release of the popular, um, despite people slagging it off, it was still popular in terms of, uh, I always got the impression that it was anyway, popular and award-winning movie I Saw the Devil. Kim also provided the segment The Heavenly Creature out of the Omnibus movie Doomsday Book, but uh, this segment was already done back in 2006 and financing fell apart at that point and it didn't see a full release completed until 2012 um, and uh, I believe he and Hansel and Greffel's Jim Pilsung were the two directors on it but uh, Kim, Kim, uh, Kim Ji-Woon didn't come back in 2012 and help uh, finish it off if I remember our prior discussion about it um, correctly uh, but it came out I think I think it did alright critically when all was said and done despite being a problematic movie production wise it did. It was it was received okay. It didn't really work for me, but I seem to be in a minority there. Uh, but uh, Kim clearly had worked up some commercial pull for him to score a directorial debut on the US market. And out of all things, you didn't see this coming necessarily. He teamed up with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Johnny Knoxville, Sweden's uh, own Peter Stormare, and Forrest Whitaker for the action of The Last Stand. And uh, I know you said in a prior episode you've seen it, you've been a little bit angry about it already during this episode, but in all honesty, is there any Kim Ji-Woon left in this product at all? I mean... Uh, no. <laughs> you see, I even cut you off there, didn't I? Um, they, no fun at all? No new kind of voice for Kim Ji-Woon there? None. None none whatsoever. If you watched The Last Stand without knowing it was Kim Ji-Woon, you wouldn't know it was Kim Ji-Woon. You'd just think it was some... Um, American director making an Arnold Schwarzenegger film because he's looking to make a comeback. There's just nothing there. Even the storyline is just, oh, it's so predictable. It's just old sheriff who turns out to be more important than he should be. And there's a bad guy who he must catch. And that's it. Didn't fly that like uh, ooh, that that didn't fly off the sort of uh, the page watching the trailer on YouTube and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that apparently Kim Ji Won. Uh, yeah, well maybe I don't know. I'll, I'll ooh something else. I've already forgotten about it. Like <laughs> I could be distracted easily, and then it would leave my memory quickly because it didn't look like ooh nice. Because he was doing that at the same time as Park Chan was doing Stoker and. Bong Joon-ho was thinking about Snowpiercer. You get the feeling that he went to America thinking he was going to make a film and the money men stepped in and went, well, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to do the other. And 
I'm assuming that's why there's no Kim Ji-won in it, because it was all stripped away to appeal to a mass market American audience. Never got the impression it was much of a hit. Didn't do well at all. You know, it, it essentially, I think it spent a week in British cinemas, maybe not even that, and then just came out in DVD a few weeks later, and it just disappeared. And rightly so. It's just, it shouldn't even be in his filmography, really. Let's hope the next projects that come along are more worthwhile, whether they're international or not. The next announced but seemingly not completed project, uh, with news going back as far as 2013, is something called Coward. And 2016, uh, we have a title listing for something called Secret Agent. There's also mentions of a production called Inrang, based on the Japanese anime Jinro The Wolf Brigade, uh, which I'm a great fan of. It was part of uh, Ghost in the Shell director Mamoru Oshii's uh, so-called Kerberos uh, saga. It's uh, sort of a... Uh, which was also made into live-action uh, entries as well. Uh, he, he mixed and matched uh, a little bit there. It's an alternate movie universe, essentially. Um, so it changes the uh, historical timeline, but it's not fantasy. So, so I mean, care to shed any light, Paul? I mean, what, what's real in terms of, like, um, these uh, announced things? And uh, what's current in the world of uh, Kim Ji-won, if you know? Well, as you say, there were a lot of things announced 2012, 2013. None of them seemed to have turned into anything. Um, there there have been things on Twitch and the like, and Twitch is usually, when it releases stuff, it's pretty much truthful. You can rely on it, but they've all come to nothing. The only, out of all those, the only thing I'm aware that's, I think, going to be a thing is the secret agent. Warner Brothers are actually making the first Korean film completely financed by them, and that'll be Secret Agent, which is, I think, it's based... Joseon period and the whole Japanese controlling the Koreans, etc., etc. And he's been supposedly firmly lined up as the director. Um, It hasn't started yet, but as far as I know, that's the only truth out of all those rumors over the years. It just seems to be the secret agent. And Gene Rowe, by the way, with The Wolf Brigade, which was an animated feature movie, that is not... It could have been live action as well because it's a very down to earth story mm. with no. It's just great that it's animated, but it's very mature, very challenging. Not not abstract, but very challenging and thematic, thematically layered and all of that. But uh, it's not a stretch to want to make that into live action as yeah, well. Yeah. So um, it's a very. If you want to like get a taste of that Carabero saga, which. Uh, Sort of, it flips the outcome of World War Two essentially, and uh, starts to build its movie universe uh, Jap- uh, in Japan that way. That's a good start because it's the only movie in that saga, animated or not, that sort of recaps what went on. A couple of those movies in that saga are wacky art house comedies, <laughs> despite being about that. So it's a very strange, quirky, and, and serious movie universe, the, the Carabaros saga that Mamoru Oshii crafted. So there it is. He wrote that movie, though. He didn't direct that anime. Uh, but uh, let's uh, A Tale of Two Sisters. Let's properly review it. Let's uh, channel some good memories and not uh, bad memories of uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger movies with Kim Ji-won branded on them. Uh, so my quick opinion, uh, I go back to the intro, really, um, adding challenging scary and heartbreaking but it's also an absorbing challenge that invites you back to pick out nuances clues and it gets you talking uh, either on a podcast or with friends and i almost 
found the time to rewatch it yesterday again because I wanted to. I've seen it once before, so this second time, it wasn't a total surprise, but I wanted to watch it again because, goddamn it, that, that's a, there's some good stuff in there that's gonna be valuable upon rewatch, and you can't say that about many movies, but this one totally. So, to you, uh, short words for now before we uh, start discussing. I spend a lot of time watching films a lot of times. It's not unsurprising for me to watch a film four or five times over a few months because I just love it. Um, A Tale of Two Sisters is probably the one I could say that most about. It's the only horror film with a reveal at the end that I can think of that you can then go back and watch as a completely different film Mm -hmm. and pull, pull things out of scene after scene after scene that you should have or could have noticed but you didn't because you were just pulled along in the story it's a care- careful balance he doesn't telegraph these uh, twists and, and by the way maybe we'll do a tail end of the review spoilers but within the main discussion we're going to keep it fairly spoiler free so i just wanted to throw that out there you know at the end of the day when i watched the tale of two sisters the first time I immediately put it back on and watched it again. So I spent four hours watching this film just because it deserves it. Which is normal normal running time for a Korean movie. Ha, 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 ha. You know, I just remember the first time I watched it, um, it was during... We occasionally have bigger storms here in the south of Sweden, right? This mm. was during one of the, the biggest ones from the last... 10 years or so, really devastated, uh, not my town, but, uh, you know, uh, this part of Sweden got really devastated, forests were flattened and stuff like that. I watched it just at the same time as that storm was on, and it was sort of like, is the sound from the movie, is it the sound from the outside? Because it was very windy and uh, just very noisy all the time, which was immersive in its way, not extra scary, but just this is good sound design, or is it reality outside of the window right now? <laughs> you know, way to go watching a classic horror film with classic horror weather. Stylish. It happened to be that way, indeed. Uh, going back a little bit to the J-horror explosion, taught an Asian extreme explosion, I remember back to those I watched. Those I didn't watch each and every one that came out post-Ring and stuff like that. Not Not even the Korean version of the ring or remake of the ring but uh, those i remember mostly and this applies to a tale of two sisters from that j-horror explosion were the movies with an emotional component as well yeah totally one of the ones i remember fondly outside of tale of two sisters and i wanted to check if you ever saw it was japan's dark water from the director of the ring i did indeed and i thought it was a damn sight better than the ring I, I like the ring. It was solid and that iconic, iconic. But uh, to have that emotional component really pleased me. I, I thought that was uh, a nice twist to that J horror explosion that we uh, that we had. Not a melodramatic component, but uh, emotional, despite the horror tools that you're familiar with that, that were used. And it made it all the more frightening, I think, which is true for Tale of Two Sisters. Uh, um, so I mean, the, the the stuff that came out of Ring, sort of the flag bearer of uh, this whole. Explosion. I don't. I don't mind it, but uh, it was bound to be uh, this whole oversaturation uh, aspect would happen because film business is film business. But a tale of two sisters doesn't fall into oversaturation. It's very much durable and has endured, and uh, and it's about what your intent is. So obviously, Kim Ji Woon's intent wasn't to cash in and bathe in money. It was because he wrote it. It was about this story. Um, to for for that to get a grip on you. 
commer- you want something to be successful, but it doesn't scream doing it uh, doing it in an easy commercial way to get bums in seats or anything. Yeah. Any other like gem from Korea during this explosion, like horror gem, uh, emotional or not, uh, outside of Tale of Two Sisters that you uh, that you remember? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, anything that came out of um, came out of the J horror e- explosion that affected Korea. I mean, was the Korean reinterpretation interpretation or remake of Ring any anything, or did it just make another Ring type of movie? I'm I'm completely biased again because the Ring virus, which is the the Korean version, I think, is better than The Ring. Um, the Ring's okay. Was it a remake of therefore the same twist? No, and again, it's that thing of them taking it in a slightly different direction. And it is a lot more emotional and even a little bit more melodramatic than just standard horror, and that's what... Does anyone get cancer? Not that, it doesn't hit that far, but, you know, maybe if they remake it, though. If you watch the tape, you'll get cancer. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I think it's really worth watching. If you're interested in that classic JK horror, check out The Ring Virus. I mean, I mean stuff like Phone, or Phone was just stupid. I have a real soft spot for classic Korean horror, from Phone to Cello... They're all utterly throwaway. You come off as remembering that it wasn't a disgusting period of just, uh, another? I think there was a beauty about classic Korean horror, even if it was things you'd seen before. They all brought emotion and they all brought something else, and it's why they're classic Korean horror. I own them all, which is why I can't remember half the titles. I really have something good to say about each and every one. Even if you take it through to all the high school horror things, the, you know, whispering corridors, whispering stairs, they're all utterly classic. They're all taken from Japanese ideas, but they all take it in a slightly different direction. And they're all very, very worth watching. And I think, sadly, Korean horror over the years has forgotten how to do that. Korean horror has been a bit crippled for the last few years, and I wish it would get back what it used to have. But they're going back to Tale of Two Sisters there, when we get the first look at the house, uh, this wonderful classical classical architecture, it doesn't scream mm-hmm. like, this is a 2003 house, uh, or anything, it's very elegant, and uh, we get an elegant look at it, we get, you know, red flowers, and uh, bushes with red flowers outside of the house that the sisters interact at, it seems heightened a bit, but it's very, very real and earthy too. Uh, this uh, whole as made of a story, so it isn't this uh, overproduced horror look or anything. It's just very elegant, and uh, and there's a real story to be, uh, albeit supernatural, but still a real story that that's going to be played out here. I seem to remember something. The name Sumi and Suyon, that those names were connected to the colors of the flowers or the flowers themselves. They're they're very much the whole red flower red lotus is a huge thing in the original story in a tale of two sisters and in it visually when you look at the the two girls they're all attracted to red flowers there are red flowers in the garden you go into the house if you look at the wallpaper there are flower emblems on the wallpaper if you look at the credits the the wallpaper moves as it starts to you know the flower things move it's all about that whole rose petal Red Lotus, the whole original story, what it what it actually means in English, and they're all completely connected to this whole flower thing. 
Yeah, uh, I thought of it uh, when I was making my notes. I think there was something there. No, not this big old, this is what happens if you know what that means. You'll get the movie. Like, it, it's, it is what it is. Some subtle clues, but it might not act as subtle clues depending on who you are as well uh, when you when you find out the whole deal of the movie. And also appreciate any movie that is confident and any director that is confident to shoot his movie with mostly a calm, static camera. Kim Ji-won's, I think, would be comfortable shooting people talking uh, as well. Which it does here, but it's, it, the style here is calm and static, but not boring, not at all. It's just, it adds to the elegant and sort of, sort of clinically clean feeling of the whole house almost, you know. Uh, which, which is something the remake totally just skipped. It's, just, it's a summer house. You know, all of a sudden. So it adds a vibe, in my opinion. It really adds um, a sort of... Uh, it adds an eerie feeling, of course, but it just adds a very clear and concrete vibe, which also aids in you understanding the movie at the same time, I think. Totally, and I think I think it gives a, a sort of a... almost a deliberate fake calmness to it as well. And consider, considering what happens in the story, the fact that everything isn't really calm, it unsettles you. It just It just works. And I love the fact that it's... There's so much evil that goes on in a house that is so, so beautiful. Speaking of beautiful and evil, I mean, uh, the, the early signs of the of the stepmother, I mean, uh, what's the actor's name? Uh, Jung Jung Ah? Yep. I don't know if she was nominated for this role, but goddammit, she should have been. This is, she goes through such a beautiful cycle, even within scenes of moods you know initially she doesn't hide her contempt and disapproval of her kids she is so confident uh, so early and you and you are totally on board and not confused by the feeling of something is off here she is what's her game you know the, the the whole dinner scene where she is you know telling that wonderful story do you remember that thing that was so funny and we don't remember oh yeah. and then she Oh, if you can see me now, it's a sort of like, oh, okay. Yes, that's how it's going to be, but she doesn't say that. My God, that I love that performance. It's probably my favorite in the movie. It's not evil or anything. It's just so damn sharp, man. And Kim Ji-won, who's also the writer, as we said, has everything to do with that, making that finely tuned without going overboard, without being too, doing too little. And uh, she, she is the shining star of this movie, in my opinion. She really is. And she, she's constantly shown that she can do exactly that. There's another, there's another film from a, a couple of years earlier called Tell Me Something. Oh, I saw that not all the way through. I actually aborted that movie. <laughs> like, what is this? I don't get this. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, a lot of that film is... I don't get this. That doesn't actually make sense. What the fuck? But if you had made it through to the end, the change in her character just sort of screams what she did in The Tale of Two Sisters. She's phenomenal. She's great. So her combined with Kim Ji-un's pushing things through really makes a lot of this film. And I think she and, I guess, Kim Kapsu, the the father figure, were a huge part of the draw because the other two actresses were completely new. No one knew them. It's eye-popping, yet all is muted. You know, all the reds in the house are very muted, so we're not having a Hansel and Gretel pop factor here, but uh, it's uh, not that it needed to be. I'm just sort of putting that into perspective. Eye-popping, yet muted. And it, it's so hy- hy- hypnotic how static it is. And it, uh, But it allows you to focus on the story as well, because we have a cracked family unit here. You know, the mother has passed, but there's something else. I... 
remember making a note that I think summarizes the movie, although I'm not done talking of the movie, but it's very precise, The Tale of Two Sisters. The touches throughout are very precise and employed when they should be. Like, it's quiet when it should be and loud when it should be. Any thoughts on that in terms of, like, when the silence versus when Kim Ji-won does go boo a little bit? I think he he does deliberately set that line. I mean, the quiet scenes are almost overly quiet, deliberately so, I reckon. It worries me that he got it so right in A Tale of Two Sisters, and since his films have not been that remarkable in terms of that, you know, visually he can do what he does, but A Tale of Two Sisters has got a feel to it the whole way through. Every single scene makes you feel something. I think he hit really strongly, and I don't think he's ever recaptured it. I mean, even look at those uh, dream flashes of horror and gore that are just that's him going boo a little bit, but they, they are yeah. deserved flashes that makes you intrigued. Like, oh my God, what is that? You you go a little bit, oh my God. And that, that that's just visual skill and storytelling skill that uh, that is sharp as hell here. I mean, they do look frightening, these flashes. And you really, that is that is so rarely true that they get to me these kind of tools, you know, regular filmmaking tools, uh, but uh, and there, there, there's at the same time not a lot of good emotional horror movies out there, which I realized watching this movie, thinking back on Dark Water, that I so appreciate more when there's that combination. You know, and if you take something like this and compare it to what we're going to talk about in the bonus episode, if you look at where they've gone, here's a boo moment, it's just, there's nothing there, it's just boo. And it's not scary, it's not emotional, it's not anything that grabs you. Whereas A Tale of Two Sisters, it starts with the emotion and takes it all from there. So the the scary elements actually scare you because you feel for the characters. And they're terrifying. I mean, that iconic scene of the whatever it is that the sister, the older sister spots on the floor that mm. starts coming up into her bed. And you see a lot of things in this scene like the almost jump cuts as the character, like an animal, sees her. And then climbs into the bed and stands above her. I mean, that is fucking terrifying, dude. See, it just shows, as you've just said that, I just got a little shiver up my spine. And it's just, that's what A Tale of Two Sisters does. It hits you, and every time you think of it, it's going to hit you again. And it's not because we know the story. This is still early in the story, but it's just something that, with his handling of it, that just is so precise. And I mean, you, you should involve the entire production, you know, from cinematography and effects and all of that. And it's a long-haired girl thing. Again. Yeah, totally, totally. But like, you don't think of, oh my god, it's the twentieth time this week I've seen it. No, when it's good, you embrace it, like, uh, like you read about. So, uh, you, you know, horror is meant to be a knockout via very few filmmakers. It seems it's been true for many decades that I like gory horror that that doesn't say anything. Of course, like just bring in the gore. That's good fun from from a sp- sp- specific era normally. But when they combine it so beautifully here and uh, when the mystery is very intriguing uh, as the puzzles are slowly built uh, and laid later. It's a beautiful thing because it's never frustrating. In the hands of Kim Ji-won here, it's never frustrating. We're confident in the sparse nature that he's employing here because it might be a little shy under two hours, but he's never in a hurry. He argues very well that he shouldn't be in a hurry either. 
it takes a good hour before we get a decent amount of clarity. And the big twist, maybe another 20 minutes after that. I think 90 minutes or so, that's the big twist, which then makes you feel fearful of, oh my god, that's 30 minutes of movie. <laughs> like the, but but it never came to that. Uh, and I wonder when I rewatch this movie if all <laughs> some dialogue seems so partly abstract because we we don't know of the whole twist thing, and we don't know of the whole context. Therefore, so I wonder how the closer rewatch than than uh, the one I you know I watched it years ago and this was the second rewatch. I wonder what the, when the next rewatch how that's gonna feel when I rewatch it tomorrow or later tonight. Haven't haven't rewatched them close proximity. All those little bits as you watch it the first time and you think, mm, that's that's a bit off, isn't it? It just all completely fits because of what you've just seen uh, in the reveal. Um, it just it rewrites the whole film and everything makes utter sense. But but it's also real though. The, this movie is also real. I mean, at the heart of it all. It's a very tragic uh, family drama. I mean, like like the the first instances of finding the bruises on her little sister, which is either either rope burn or her trying to cut herself. I don't remember which one it was, but or, or like bruises from uh, the stepmother holding onto her wrist so hard. But uh, pretty much, yeah. Th- that is frightening imagery as well because the idea is horrible that someone would do that to someone young who can't fight back, and this father trying to bring this family from fragmented to whole again but it's clearly not working and he's just shutting it out i mean uh, that's uh you know credit to that performance as well kim Kapsu doesn't seem like he's doing anything because the father is just kind of an empty shell but you know talk about coming through portraying someone who just uh stares into the, the floor most of the movie you know wonderful actor i don't know if it's uh, big or not but w- wonderful actor based on uh, based on uh, this movie alone as I say, essentially, it was him and Um Young Wai that drew the audiences to this. He 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 was the pull for somebody as new in his career as Kim Ji Hyun to get Kim Kak Soo in this film is a pretty big deal. He was the draw, and you know if you if you look at his filmography, it's it's pages long. He'd made a load of films before he was a real name. And to come and do a film where he seems to not do very much is a big thing. Whereas his character is actually really important for the fact that he doesn't do very much. And and all the more rewarding once you rewatch it, if you want to rewatch it, because a lot of things make sense psychologically. Yeah. Again, we'll flip back in between drama and horror, which is what it does. And, uh, you know, even dialogue is chilling, you know, as translated. Obviously, I don't understand Korea, but the the whole uh, sense, not centerpiece, but the big dinner scene that we talked a little bit about. And there's a, uh, an epileptic fit that um, happens for one of the dinner guests. And um, that all is taken care of. And then they drive home. And uh, she just sort of says under her breath a little bit. She's obviously exhausted. Even dialogue like this becomes chilling in, in the whole context of this movie, where she says, there was a girl under the kitchen sink. Yeah, totally. You just... Ugh. And because and you get that little startled sting where when we see the view of what... what because she's lying uh, like upside down and just with her mouth open. And then she sees this blackened figure under the sink. We, we, we see something under there. And that startled sting is not lazy at all. Uh-uh. It's common. It's something we are annoyed by normally. Like, ding! 
you know, not the ding, that, that's a bell, but the normally the whole 5.1, boom. Yeah. That shows Kim Ji-woon. Whether he's a horror fan or not, I don't know, but it shows such good, suitable, sound, balanced touches to horror. And also editing. I mean, it's be- uh, that's, in all its simplicity also, that's beautifully edited. They dis- they, they don't bring in the sting and uh, her her view of the matters just to clarify it for stupid people. No, that actually is needed because it's uh, we don't see that in the initial scene. So they don't telegraph it before. We need to find out after. What, what, what was it she saw underneath it? That sort of happens a couple of times. There's the under the sink and there's another there's another scene where she looks behind, you know, behind some sort of furniture or whatever and sees a figure or she seems to see a figure. And I actually at that point had to rewind the film to see if that figure was actually there because it's so quick. It's so was there something there in between that foliage? Humongously well done. And I wonder if they would have hired Kim Ji-woon. Like, it, w- it would have been maybe better if they'd hired Kim Ji-woon on the strength of A Tale of Two Sisters rather than... Because for The Lost Stand, I mean, if we're being honest here, on the strength of what movie do you think they hired him uh, for? I mean, it's clearly not like The Tale of Two Sisters guy. Let's give him The Lost Stand. Like, it's clearly one of his more brighter action-filled movies and I, and I wonder like if they tapped him for uh, something you know even if it was a horror movie maybe that would have worked out better because he had that voice in him like I just why I, I just wonder if uh, if they give him something more chilling how that would have worked out I really wish they had you know I I can't get away from the thought that they've gone you know oh good to bad to weird again 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 and they've said, we'd like you to do an American film because some of your other guys are doing an American film. Come over and we'll give you an American film. And he's just gone, yeah. And they've said, here's the film we want to do. It's, it's, it's a vehicle for Arnold Schwarzenegger. Be really good. There you go. Without actually thinking about what he might actually be able to do well. Was there anything in I Saw the Devil that screamed uh, commercialism? But that's a smaller, more... Uh... Or the movie, if you will. I haven't seen it, so I'm, I'm asking genuinely out of curiosity. I I loved I Saw the Devil, and it, it's the same thing with a lot of Kim Ji-woon films. You either love them or you hate them, and people will argue left, right, and center with you about it, as I have done about I Saw the Devil. It's a lot more controversial. I think it's really original in terms of the whole way he tackles violence and the way he tackles a lack of humanity, whatever else. I can't see the American film industry pulling him in because of it. It's too hard. It's too polarized in terms of the way it was received. You know, they've they've pulled him in because of the good, the bad, and the weird, because it was a simple movie that everybody went, yeah, it was really exciting. And it was visually impressive. So they've gone, that did really well. Let's get him in for that. So it's always going to be Kim Ji-won, the director of the good, the bad, and the weird, which upsets me a little bit. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Ho- hopefully, that was that was that of in terms of experimentation because hopefully he can employ himself continually and make a little bit of cash doing so and continue working. You know, uh, well, so, totally, totally. so hopefully he won't dry up uh, his uh, his career in Korea. So it's it gets intense by the whole mark. Uh, we get we get twist uh, the reveal, the big reveal, and uh, freaky imagery, and even like surreal imagery because all of a sudden it seems very unconnected. Like what what is going on here, and why is there a dead bird in Su Yon's bed? 
and uh, why is there a dead body in the cage? And but but he he makes it come together. And what I also wanted to say about all of that, mildly connected or not, we talked about actors, but in a way they're all so on point. So totally. it's hard to deconstruct acting. The girls are totally on point. There's not a like choice. They're, if they're new, my. God, I mean, what, what talent he managed to tap into and uh, uh, in all of that. If any of you go and get the, the special edition Tartan video, which probably costs about two quid now. It's a good, a good deal, actually, because it's filled, filled with extras. Totally, but there's, as far as I remember, an interview with Im Soo Young on there who played the main girl, Sumi, and she actually talks about how frightened she was at having this lead role it was her you know her first big big thing and she didn't know what she was doing and she was you know falling to bits and she cried a lot and kim ji-won was really nasty to her and it all makes her performance absolutely perfect you can see even though she's she's very stern i guess as she goes through you can almost see she's fighting against something which i think the actress really was <laughs> has that ever been a rumor out there that kim ji-won is is about pushing your buttons for the sake of art or i'd never heard of it before until i saw that interview where she said he was really nasty and you just think is that because you were new and you were just a little bit weepy or is he just a you know crack the whip sort of guy i don't know he's always seemed like a very nice guy a very talkative guy when you know i've been sitting in front of him so i'm assuming it was just her losing it and him losing it because she was losing it well well, she hasn't um disowned the movie so there is that you know well totally the other little thing the whole dead bird deal that actually comes from the original folktale as well in the original folktale the stepmother puts a mutilated bloody bird in the stepdaughter's bed to make it seem like she's had a miscarriage and therefore has had sex and is therefore a bad person etc etc when the ghosts come and tell the father he actually goes and gets the dead bird and proves that it's a dead bird here it was more like it was part of that stretch of the movie where we start to doubt the events that we see or actually events that take place you know what i mean because we see them later in terms of uh, what really happened um so so, so I, I saw it as part of that sequence where it's not obvious it is obvious to put it there but it's maybe not the case that it went down that way it's part of that stretch of the movie i won't spoil it but uh, it takes skill to make a common twist which was very common after another big American horror movie from a few years earlier made the rounds. I will be vague um, in terms of that. Uh, you mentioned its star um, a little while ago in this podcast, so I won't say anything about that because I want to keep this spoiler free. But it takes a, a dramatically sound mind to make that twist affecting. A twist that has to do with emotional trauma in this movie. And, and we see an earlier reverse scene taking place in a mental hospital which is not a lame telltale sign of what's to come not at all kim ji-won also argues that here's where you break up the calmness and elegance and literally starts to shake the camera for a few intense moments when someone's mind is really rattled but he isn't um, this uh, lazy stylistic director because he wisely chooses when to amp 
the movie. You know, he doesn't get lost in stylish excess. Also, he doesn't get lost in surreal excess because we we get it all. We get what happened. We get what happened in the now, and we get what happened when he flashes flashes back to the events prior to the mental hospital stay, which is the big, big, obviously emotional hook of the movie. Again, we'll keep it spoiler free. It's just, it's just really a home run. I mean, this, uh, it, it's inspiring work, really, to make it so good all around. And uh, that's uh, that's why I'm keen to return to it quite soon. Uh, even if I know every nook and cranny of it, I'll return to it frequently after that, possibly. So I think that's a lot to be said for a horror film that you can look forward to returning to, even though you've seen it, even though you know what's going to happen. Any twist in uh, a horror movie that is known and used often can be put to good use if you have, you know, good story intentions and skill backing it up. Then you can do it multiple times after that. So it's not like it's uh, it's a danger to A Tale of Two Sisters to employ something similar. I mean, it does have to be said there's another American film, and I don't know if I'm allowed to mention who's acting in it or... Ah, we'll we'll keep it we'll keep it vague here for the sake of uh, so. <laughs> there is another film based in a an institution of some sort mm-hmm. uh, from a couple of years, a few years after uh, a tale of two sisters that uses exactly the same reveal, except one of the actors spends about ten minutes in a room with the main actor doing a big here we go a load of exposition to explain. Everything that Attila Two Sisters explained visually, as you, as I sat and watched it, I actually got annoyed from the fact that I'm being told here rather than being allowed to figure it out. And even though Attila Two Sisters does tell you, it tells you visually without exposition upon exposition upon exposition. And it just shows the difference between somebody who knows how to treat their audience with respect and someone who thinks we're all morons and we have to be told frame by frame what's going on. And yeah, I actually don't have any other notes uh, other than maybe just a hint at uh, the, the very ending, which is the big flashback. Is, uh, it, it's it's painful to watch, really, because of uh, the kind of... Um, what's the word here? It's uh, it's draining to watch, actually, what, what happens in the big flashback yeah, and, and heartbreaking, too. So, again, it com- comes comes through there emotionally and uh, ends ends emotionally and all of that. So, yeah. Still his best movie, you think? Easily. By far his best film. There it is. So, uh, you know, I, I just had a general question really now that we're at the end of all, all this. Uh, you, you've hinted at where horror is now, but uh, w- w- where is Korean cinema at now? Is it trending up and down? Uh, up or down? Is it on a creative high or creative low? Like if we look back at uh, 2015. It's been a really, really strange year. A, a couple of weeks ago, wh- one of the other groups that was with me in Korea who essentially does K-pop, they don't know that much about film, but they're interested. And when we got back to the UK, they got in touch and said, look, would you like to do a best of 2015 article? Because we'd like to talk a little bit about film, but we don't really know, blah, blah, blah. And I said I'd do it, and I sat and I thought, right, what are we going to talk about in 2015? And it's it's been such a weird year because you spend a lot of it thinking there's absolutely nothing going on, there's nothing decent coming out, and then suddenly things hit that are hugely successful, massively popular, and are actually really good, 
so it's it's up and down like you wouldn't believe it's from nothing to a couple of months of insanely good stuff to nothing to back up again i've never seen a year like it usually by the end of the year you sort of know what your top films are going to be by this year before november i didn't have a clue what i was going to pick i'll just throw a tale of two sisters in there just because yeah totally i wish i wish they'd re-release it so we could just go look it's a tale of two sisters now in 3d instead whether you're talking horror has been horror has been a bit dull for a number of years and there have been a few tiny little glimpses of originality but it always drops back down which is a shame korean film in general very up and down are we far removed from that popular millennium new wave that uh, most people caught when it when it hit you up i think i think we're removed from it we're getting closer to it than we were not that it needs to be that uh, we don't need to look back but that that was seemed to be korean cinema on a roll though well really so and we've never really caught it again and it all comes down to the fact that everything's controlled by the huge conglomerates the huge film companies so you get to see what they want you to see so there are a lot of little films that have just sort of not got anywhere or just got in a little bit and been ignored and then they've one huge film on across the country that that's all you can go and see so it's very difficult to even get an idea of what's out there because you're only getting to see these huge blockbusters that are essentially mostly bland. It's a difficult thing. It's been a difficult year. Let's hope it changes. Right on. And as for availability of Tale of Two Sisters, it's been released both on DVD and uh, in Korea and the UK. And the UK got subtitled extra features, including the commentaries on that uh, Tartan uh, double-disc uh, DVD. Uh, DVD. We also have Blu-ray redish, uh, editions, including in the UK. Um, and that is a uh, port of the old taught on dvd but i have no i haven't seen a review of uh, whether the hd version is up to snuff or not i haven't actually seen it but i know someone that has and they said it's utterly stunning right good 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 so so it's not a reused old transfer and uh, not an upscale from dvd so that so that's good because it needs to be uh, upgraded a little bit the dvd looks okay but uh, it's uh, showing its age a little bit too uh, the Korean DVD doesn't seem to be in stock. Uh, Blu-ray, rather, doesn't seem to be in stock currently, but there, there has been one. So uh, mm. uh, there is that. Uh, so we'll get into the Think Tank as usual for our next uh, pair of shows. But stay tuned, despite, because we are not properly done. We've got more Tale of Two Sisters coverage for you in the form of a bonus episode on the American remake of it. And I'm not saying American just to go be down on America. But there is an American remake of Tale of Two Sisters called The Uninvited. Which was also the name of another Korean movie. Which starred that girl uh, from My Sassy Girl. I forget her name. Jun ji Was that a horror movie too or was it a different genre? It was a horror movie as well. Good. That makes everything so much more easier. <laughs> Oh, they remade her movie. No, it's Tale of Two Sisters they remade. Oh, uh, oh, we got our bonus episode. <laughs> so yeah, uh, so a website exclusive chat and a possibly angry rant from both of us is available on the website as you hear this. We both hated it. <laughs> there it is. It was not good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely despised it. Yeah, 2009, directed by a pair of um, 
English filmmakers, there, there is, but it is an American movie. Elizabeth Banks uh, is one of the stars in it. So, but yeah, well, we thought we'd relegate it to the bonus episode section because uh, why not? Why not? We can do it. We're willing to do it, although we hate something. So there it is. Was that your first uh, viewing or second viewing of The Uninvited for for this episode for for the bonus episode? Uh, it was my second viewing. And I have to be honest, the first viewing took about three watches to get really? through. Really? Yeah, it was a bit slow. The second viewing, I admit, I watched about 15 minutes, then fast forwarded about 10 minutes, you know, and just sort of remembered it. Um, it's not an easy watch because it's just terrible. Made a, made a decent amount of money, though. <laughs> that's the, that's a fun thing. So maybe the market, the, the people who want to flood the market with stuff, maybe they were satisfied so yeah it's really worrying it is very much so um so uh, there's a website exclusive chat for you on taylor two sisters american remake called the uninvited so check that out if you have any interest and uh, we thank you from this episode for taking the trip over to the bonus section as well but uh, this is us done for this episode of what's korean cinema and uh, we are available on podcastonfire.com part of the podcast on fire network check out this show and all our other shows including bonus episodes as we said email us if you have any questions or feedback podcastonfire at googlemail.com share your memories of what it was like following korean cinema uh, during the new millennium that included tale of two sisters i'm sure many of us uh, had some awakening back then including you paul as you said so um, podcastonfire at googlemail.com uh, follow the uh, links uh, on the handy buttons at the top of the page to our Facebook, to our Twitter, to our iTunes, and to our Stitcher page. Stitcher is the place where you can stream the shows, and they also have an application on the Apple App Store and Google Play. And uh, I write about Hong Kong movies mainly, and some Taiwanese excursions, and some ninja excursions on SoGoodReviews.com, and my video reviews are at SleazyKVideo.com, and my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. And you have the final plug, Paul. So whereabouts are you on the web? I'm on the web at hangelcelluloid.com. You can find me on Facebook at hangelcelluloid.com slash Facebook. And I'm on Twitter at, at hangelcelluloid. Remember hangelcelluloid, you'll sort of find me anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, we are done. So I've been Kennedy, and thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much, Paul, for bringing the perspective and the knowledge and the, and the ranting and the, all all the good qualities that you possess, my friend. Lovely. And uh, so I've been Kennedy, and with me was Paul Queen. So say bye bye. See you later, guys. <laughs>